Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hi, Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Adam Crafton with us as usual. We'll be joined by David Ornstein to discuss the off-field dispute that led to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang being dropped from Arsenal's matchday squad at the weekend. And we'll also talk to the Athletic's Crystal Palace writer Matt Woosnam after an important win for Patrick Vieira's side against Everton at Selhurst Park with Conor Gallagher, the star man. So before we start with uh, the football itself, across the country here in the UK, uh, COVID cases are rising. It is affecting uh, English football and the Premier League. Uh, Adam Crafton and David Ornstein uh, both with us. Uh, In the last 24 hours, David has reported outbreaks at Aston Villa and Manchester United. Uh, Adam has written an explainer answering the questions a lot of fans and people involved in the game will have right now. What's the most pressing question? Whether games will be called off, presumably. I mean, the issue at the moment is it's the busiest part of the season. Um, and you've got midweek games this week, then you've got weekend, then you obviously go into the the run of games over Christmas. And that's the problem, really, that the Premier League has. And, you know, on Sunday alone, Manchester United were forced to reduce the intensity of their training sessions to outdoor individual non-contact session after a small number of positives following the game against Norwich on Saturday. And then Aston Villa also had a recovery session scheduled for a few players which couldn't go ahead and their training ground was closed on Sunday. Both clubs expected to be back in as normal or as close to normal as possible as of Monday. Man United go to Brentford Tuesday night. That game is still you know, meant to be going ahead, but as with all of us, it's a little bit of a developing situation. It's it's one that the Premier League is taking steps to manage at the moment because they've increased testing to three times a week, three lateral flow tests a week. I think one PCR test as well the day before a game. Some clubs want that to go up to daily tests, you know, to best minimise the risk. And then you have this whole other issue on coming in from Wednesday, which is that fans accessing the stadium will also need either a negative test in the previous 48 hours or to be double jabbed. And then there's obviously the campaign now as well to get people boosted. I went to a venue on Friday night, which maybe had a, a thousand people in it. And that and, and that all needed COVID. Uh, you needed your COVID certificate to get in. Downing Street. Yeah, yeah yes. Yeah, I regularly <laughs> go to Downing Street on Friday night for a party. Uh, and, um, but there was, I reckon, 10 minute, 10 minute, 15 minute queue to get into that venue the grounds if you think you know are going to be at least 20 times that with fans going at least 20,000 some some up to 70,000 it's going to take hours to get fans in all showing evidence isn't it it's a massive issue i mean it's it's one that the premier league have been aware of for a long time that it might come in so they've been making plans for quite some time there was uh, paperwork distributed i think it was october as well around this because initially it was expected to come in in october and then the government decided not to I think you're right. I think in practice, it's going to be really difficult. I think what the hope is that people see it 
follow it to the best of their ability. But I mean, there are. I mean, we've reported this morning that Brighton are saying, you know, if you attempt to get in, you won't be allowed in. If you break in without a COVID passport, you could have your season ticket withdrawn, and the police could be informed. So clubs are taking a very hard line stance in communicative terms. Whether that translates in reality to you know stewards who are already are sometimes to do things which seem you know a little bit beyond the remit to start sort of you know particularly if fans are vaccine hesitant or even vaccine skeptic denial whatever if they start getting into arguments with stewards then you then I think that's probably the the bigger issue and it may mean that Premier League clubs have to spend a little bit more getting police at the stadium because it's not really fair on stewards to have to deal with that. So yeah, strong in communication terms, let's see how it plays out in reality, but the cues are going to be a problem, aren't they? Do we know, David, are, are there set are there set rules? You know, if, if eight of your team go down with COVID, you you can get the game postponed. Is there a number or is it is it based on on each on the evidence from each individual club. In the Premier League, I believe it is a case-by-case basis. It's something that Mikel Arteta has complained about because when Arsenal had a number of cases before their opening day of the season defeat at Brentford, they tried to get the game postponed and the Premier League did not agree to that. Whereas Tottenham, of course, have managed to do so successfully for the recent game that was scheduled against Brighton. The Premier League, unlike UEFA, I think, have no set numbers. They study the circumstances around how many players are available, what condition younger players might be to step into the breach. And they at the Premier League are absolutely determined to get every match staged. It's a relative disaster if they don't. Uh, they definitely don't want to freeze or take a fire break in the season. That would be uh, the very, very worst case scenario. I think UEFA have a rule about needing to field 13 players and a goalkeeper. And if you can't, then the match can be postponed or called off. But yeah, I think the Premier League suspect that if there was a set number, the situation may be open to manipulation. Although on the flip side, you could, or clubs may argue, that if they have discretion over what happens, then that is also manipulatable, if that's a word. Well so, I'm not sure it is, actually, but 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 we'll go with it. Well done. It's quite nice. It's got a ring to it. Yeah. yeah. I think there's two, there's two clear concerns for Premier League clubs. One, first one's match day income. Can we keep fans in the stadium at full capacity? And then the second one is changes to the, to the schedule, particularly during Christmas, which is so important in terms of advertising for broadcasters and particularly for pay-per-view broadcasters during that time, any deals that they may have as well. Changes away from Christmas period for, for that schedule may, if I was a broadcaster, I may start thinking, oh, we might want a bit of money back here again from the Premier League. Whether the Premier League would agree to that is a whole other story, but I'm sure those questions would be asked. So look, I mean, let's hope over the next week that things calm down a bit, that things get a little bit better, the games go ahead, fans could still go to stadiums. But there are these these questions peering around the corner now, which is why clubs have brought in these new measures as well. I think the Premier League will have an expectation that some more matches may go over the festive period. There are cases, as a few clubs said to me yesterday, within every club in the Premier League and probably the Football League as well, probably reflective of society. And so it's about staying calm, hoping that the stricter protocols that have been brought in, the emergency measures that were recommended last week and I think will be rubber stamped in a Premier League shareholders meeting this week will be sufficient to 
control the situation, allow matches to continue where they don't, then the schedule does ease in the new year and into 2021 uh, with some midweek availability. If the worst came to the worst, then they could perhaps lobby UEFA to allow some European midweeks to be used for Premier League action. And fingers crossed, they will be okay. I suspect that the Premier League, as part of the emergency measures, will be warning clubs that they can be susceptible to fines and punishments if they're caught to not be adhering to the strict protocols. You may have read previously about these Snoop Dogg inspectors that were deployed around the time of Project Restart. Um, Perhaps they'll be making an appearance at training grounds uh, once again. It's very difficult because they're in such tight groups and they need to work so closely together, especially as you go into winter. Um, Some of the summer protocols of 2020 when players would arrive, park up, walk out, uh, train, go back into their car and and not quite as easy, but they're going to have to deal with it. And um, I'm optimistic. It's tough for players as well. I mean, you know, obviously it's tough for everyone, but you know, you are asking them again for this sort of what should be one of the nicest months of the year to really limit their social contact. So these games can go ahead and you, you know, particularly around Boxing Day 28th, those sort of fixtures when you might ordinarily have a little bit of time with family and friends, that's obviously going to be more difficult. Again, I would imagine for players as as clubs try and keep them within the bubbles. I mean, I think players' families have also been told now not to come to training grounds, which sometimes happens. And then there's other things, like David said, is it like massages limited to 15 minutes um, because, you know, very dangerous 16-minute massages. Who knows what could happen? Um, and, and I think they also want those mas- massages to be outdoors if possible, which sounds horrendously uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. To be, to be fair, the massage rule isn't the only rule at the moment that's utterly bewildering and baffling, is it, really? <laughs> um, uh, just a final one. You, you t- talk about, uh, uh, you know, taking a fire break. I mean, there is, there is at the end of January, isn't there? They, they do put a, they do put a break in the the Premier League. Then some clubs get one weekend off, and some clubs get the other weekend off. It, that could be used in a different way, I suppose. But your point, Adam, is because this is the festive period, and because it is so important to broadcasters. You know, this week I think BT strip get all 10, don't they, this week and strip them across. And there's one for Amazon, obviously, coming up around to Amazon and Boxing Day, I think. So obviously, yeah, that, that's that's a big one around then. That You can't just go, well, I'll tell you what, that break that's coming up at the end of January where there's, there's two weeks, we'll implement that now and shift everything to those two weeks because the broadcasters would not be happy. Yeah, of course. And I think that's... You know, it's not only domestically. Um, I mean, obviously, I think the Amazon one is quite big. I mean, Amazon haven't paid a fortune, mm. um, but, you know, it's still good money for, for for Amazon. But they, I think they have intentionally placed their sh- their slate around the Christmas period because, you know, in terms of what Amazon does as a company, it suits the whole strategy really well. But I think as well, like for international broadcasters who maybe don't get that much sport across the board during the Christmas period... Yeah. The Premier League's really important and appealing. So, and I think they will also be looking at the Premier League and saying, look, I mean, we have bent over backwards to help you guys over the last couple of years put on more fixtures, or uh, sorry, put more games on TV, that kind of thing. Sky deferred a major payment until the start of this season, right in the midst of the pandemic. So, again, I mean, it'll be, it is this balance between, you know, following public safety, but also, you know, making sure that clubs can, can get by. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Let's talk uh, about Arsenal and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who was dropped from their squad by Mikel Arteta over the weekend. David, your piece on The Athletic has all the details. Why? As in, as in, why was he dropped? Not, not, not why do you have all the details, obviously? Yeah, I mean, God. <laughs> why did we give all the details? Well, we broke the story on The Athletic on Saturday during the second half that the disciplinary breach that Mikel Arteta mentioned but didn't expand upon referred to Aubameyang returning late from a club-sanctioned trip abroad in the previous week. We are now able to reveal that that was a visit to France to collect his mother and bring her back to the UK. It was well documented previously uh, when Aubameyang missed, ironically or coincidentally, a match against Southampton as well, that his mother had been very unwell. And so there was an agreement struck that entailed that Aubameyang could uh, fly to France on Wednesday and must come back on the same day. And he returned on Thursday. So that was one issue. Um, and I think that essentially is the breach. I'm told he did get there in time for training. However, having flown back into the UK, you may know that uh, you now need to take a PCR test and isolate until you receive the results. And by going to the London Colony training ground, he, he hadn't done that. He, I think, took a test in France and thought that was sufficient. And we do need to understand that, firstly, these rules are quite complicated. Secondly, most footballers involved in travel for club or country have received exemptions and had all of this dealt with for them. When you go for personal matters, firstly, there's no exemption. And secondly, I'm not sure how many people there are to help you. So he was sent away from training on Thursday and then he was told not to come to training on Friday. We have no explanation on why that was. We have no explanation on how long any kind of punishment will continue for. Clearly part of this is misunderstanding but let's not disguise the fact that it is a problem. He's the captain of Arsenal Football Club. It is not the first time Arteta has publicly criticised or revealed that he uh, has committed a disciplinary breach. Although that's, I guess, a description that depends on what you term a disciplinary breach. I think Aubameyang might argue that his situation wasn't necessarily a disciplinary breach. And if you're going to say that, some people believe Arteta should have elaborated on the reasons why, because I think in this country, when you hear the phrase disciplinary breach, you immediately think of something a bit more serious or sinister. Of course, it's his prerogative if he wants to expand or not. There was a feeling around the Emirates press box on Saturday uh, that he was going to go into further detail after the match, which he didn't do. And that left a lot of speculation, such as this Instagram image of him receiving a tattoo last week, people suggesting he had flown to Barcelona and broken club rules to do that. We understand that this tattoo was a scheduled event that took place in London and is not part of this punishment or breach, even if it doesn't reflect well in terms of optics. So here we are again, another incident involving 
an Arsenal captain, another incident involving a Bamiang, and I don't know where it goes from here. He's 32 years old. He's got 18 months left on his contract and it feels like a bit of a mess. Oh, it sums up modern football uh, or football in 2021, that a mysterious tattoo and COVID protocol. Right, there you go. That, that, <laughs> that's the world we live in, Adam. It starts to remind you a little bit of the situation they got into with Meza Urza, where you had a big, long contract after the age of 30. Performances drop off a little bit. I think he's not scored in his last six. I think he's got more yellow cards in his last nine than goals. It's quite an interesting one in terms of why Arteta has gone public. What the manager necessarily has to gain by being as direct as he has about it. You know, clearly, I think the sort of being repeatedly late last season made a little bit more sense to me. I think this time around seems a little bit strange. You know, if he's gone to visit his mother, tried to bring her back to England and then just got a bit confused by tests. He's going to be the first to get confused about what the test protocol is at the moment from depending where you fly from or, you know, I mean, it it feels like it changes every 48 hours anyhow. So, But I feel there's a a couple of uh, differences here from Arsenal's perspective in that firstly, they're tightening their protocols as we've discussed on the podcast already. And I think to a military extent these clubs are going to now so a a breach of any sort will be frowned upon and secondly this notion of being a a repeat offender Adam mentions there that it was the North London derby in March when he was stuck in traffic and uh, was relegated to the bench Arteta said it was case closed after that this time he was left out of the squad and Arteta said this is the start of the punishment. Yeah. What's the end? Wherever people feel their sympathies lie in relation to the case, whether they think Arteta is right to have done it or Aubameyang, you know, is slightly unlucky, as, we, as we've already explained. A lot of managers in this situation, Adam, could go, oh, he's, he's just got a calf strain or, you know, he's just you know, mm. got a little niggle mm. and, and, and so that's him out for, for today. The fact that Arteta's gone gone very public with it again, you know, we've mentioned previous ones, then means that people start to start to look at the bigger picture and the overall situation and the dynamic between the two of them. Absolutely, and that's why you know there's a piece on the Athletic this morning detailing the, the I suppose the dispute between them, but also I think there was a conversation, wasn't that was it on match of the day last night about whether he should be the captain long-term as well. So Arteta has invited that discussion. He's created a space for those discussions. Maybe he wants Maybe he wants those discussions um, to play out. Maybe, you know, as January comes around, 18 months left on his contract, it's a little bit of a test the waters, let's see what's out there for, for both parties. Maybe it's best for both parties, who knows? But yeah, I mean, certainly I've seen a lot of conversation on, particularly on social media, the last couple of days of, oh, well, who could be the next captain? Could it be Rams? You know, I think um, Laura Woods on TalkSport this morning was pitching Aaron Ramsdale to be the, the Arsenal captain after a few months at the club. And there was also uh, Gabrielle being mentioned. So it's quite an interesting time at Arsenal because you've got this sort of nascent projects and some young, exciting players, but always this feeling that the senior players at the club aren't quite good enough, either to set the standards that Arteta seems to be demanding or from a purely a quality point of view in terms of the performances they produce. It felt like something was brewing because Arteta actually made public reference to what Adam just said within the last couple of weeks. 
I think it was after the defeat at Everton or before even maybe, where he implored the experienced players to start setting an example for the younger players. I don't know if that was a hint at something that was happening or bubbling under the surface, but clearly Arsenal have been inspired by their younger players in recent times, the likes of Saka, Smith-Rowe, Ramsdale, some other new signings too. We have to point out that Aubameyang did not ask to be made captain. It was a title bestowed upon him when Granit Xhaka was uh, the latest to suffer the curse of the Arsenal armband in the uh, darker days of Unai Emery's reign. And I don't think leadership in that sense comes, or in the English sense of being loud and vocal and communicative, necessarily comes naturally to Aubameyang. He tends to lead by example, and he hasn't been in, in a good vein of form. I wonder if it would be better for everybody if he just is able to focus on his football. And it's not been a happy marriage really since his contract extension, has it, in 2020, which was so celebrated. But, you know, there have been a number of incidents in terms of, you know, the two apparent Uh, lapses in punctuality. He contracted malaria. He tested positive for COVID before Arsenal's game at Brentford. Uh, His goals uh, have dried up to an extent, certainly by his standards. We should also point out that he's played for some top managers in Unai Emery, Arsene Wenger, Thomas Tuchel, Jurgen Klopp, Christoph Gautier. And I think bar one incident with Thomas Tuchel, there's been nothing major that you would bracket under the term disciplinary. So I don't know if something is eroding between Arteta and Aubameyang. Arteta, of course, the man who sanctioned that new contract and will be wanting his player to repay that faith. But, you know, you wish them well, but it doesn't appear to be a particularly easy situation or one that will be too straightforward to resolve at his age the length left on his contract and everything that's now gone before. How long's that? How long's left on his contract? He is under contract until the summer of 2023, so 18 months. Right, okay. And how much is he on? Yeah, he earns in the region of £350,000 a week. He became the top earner at Arsenal via his new contract once Mesut Ozil left. And despite a lot of speculation around who might want him, uh, the market that he could generate. Uh, Who does want him? Surely the big thing in all of this is, uh, and I had an Arsenal friend, even before all of this, after the game at Goodison on on Monday night, texted me going, we've got got to move Aubameyang on, is what he said to me as a a very dyed-in-the-wool Arsenal fan. And I'm thinking, well, where do you move somebody onto who's on 350 grand a week, who's got 18 months left? Because... There isn't a domestic market for him, is there, no, David? No, so, that, that, well, there has been in the past because Chelsea were interested in signing him. Yeah, but not now. Not now. They've, of course, got Romelu Lukaku. Um, other options uh, do not appear to be on the table. Manchester City wanted to sign him when he was at Borussia Dortmund. While he's been at Arsenal, there has been genuine interest from the likes of Barcelona and Juventus. Into Milan too. But at this point in time, no, I think the most sensible solution is to patch up any differences, reunite and get him doing what he does best and scoring goals because they've also got the dilemma over Alexandra Lacazette, who's out of contract in the summer of 2022. He's expected to leave, although it's not guaranteed. And you may see Arsenal try to offer some kind of compromise that 
is incentivized, although I think he wants long-term security. So, And he happens to be the more informed Arsenal striker at the moment. Eddie Nketi is out of contract in the summer too, at the younger end, end of the spectrum. And following Balogun, as we revealed in the Monday column before last, is expected to go out on loan. They've decided he can go out on loan in January. The striker department is one that Arsenal are looking to bolster in, whether it be January, I think doubtful, the summer, very possible. So uh, it's a really delicate and important time and responsibility will fall into the hands of the technical director, Edu, of course, in conjunction with Arteta and the ownership. Adam? Yeah, they're not the only club, obviously, who would struggle moving on talent on on huge wages. I mean, it's like the other day, the agent of Anthony Martial at Manchester United came out and said he was ready to leave. The problem is no one's ready to buy him. And and that's, that's where... Uh, players are at the moment you know I mean I spoke to one Premier League sporting director who just said you know, mid, mid-table that you might have thought before the pandemic might have attempted a deal like that couldn't even get near it in terms of wages won't even consider the conversation so Barcelona looking at him I think but again I mean how they plan to do that with their financial situation it is a bit of a mystery Aubameyang's got no choice really but to knuckle down at Arsenal I would think for the rest of the season and then see where it goes in the summer Unless they all end up at Newcastle. Yeah, well, Newcastle are going to be busy. I, I do think so. And that could give us something to talk about in the January transfer window. They're in a mess and they genuinely have irons in fires, as we revealed with Sven Botman and a number of other positions. They are very actively looking and already trying to make moves in the market for January and they have money to spend. So, yeah, watch this space. Although I'm not linking them with a Bamiang, by the way, just for the record. He is. <laughs> Go on, dare you, New- I dare you, Newcastle. Uh, <laughs> thanks, David. Cheers, guys. Pleasure. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's move on to Crystal Palace and the Athletics. Matt Wisdom covers the club and was at Selhurst yesterday where Palace beat Everton 3-1. In the build-up to the game, Matt, you, you'd written that actually Patrick Vieira had a few issues to address because Palace were going through a blip. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they'd been they'd come off the back of a seven-game unbeaten run and then they drew three all at Burnley and then they lost three in a row. Um, and uh, the loss of James McArthur in midfield has been absolutely huge. And and I think the issue really was that Vieira was struggling to find the right balance in that midfield. And Palace had also missed Joachim Anderson in defence for an outball. So, you know, coming into this game off the back of three defeats, he needed to change something because it wasn't working. Palace competed well against Leeds and they competed well against Manchester United defensively. And you could say, you know, if John Nye had scored that chance at United and if Benteke had scored that chance at Leeds then they would have won both games and they would have won both games because it was quite late in the game and you know it's those fine margins that have kind of cost Palace this season against Everton there was also a moment sort of late on where Anthony Gordon raced down the right and played a one-two of Townsend and then you know, shot at Guaita um, and, and Guaita made an excellent save if that had gone in that would have been another frustrating end to a game. Um, but credits Palace, they did well to to defend that lead and then to go on and Conor Gallagher was absolutely outstanding throughout the game and that goal really topped it off. Bear in mind, you talked about McCarthy Barry, and, and the balance of that midfield and that was probably the area he had to address uh, the most. Before we come on to Gallagher, should we recognise Will Hughes' role in that Palace midfield? Yeah, absolutely. He was excellent yesterday. He's played 10 minutes. Um, I asked Fiera before the game whether it was you know, a decision that he wouldn't play a player who had only had a short amount of game time. And and I was actually slightly surprised that he actually said, you know, actually it's fine. Like I'm happy to play someone who's not played a lot. Um, Cause that was part of the reason that my understanding that he wasn't playing initially was the uh, impressive form of McArthur and Gallagher. And then Hughes had a slight back injury and then he'd only played 10 minutes of football. So it was difficult to, to throw him in. Vieira said that he can play as a, I guess as a number four, if you like, or as a number eight. Gallagher was, Adam, just sensational. I love him. If you were making a team of the season now, I would probably have him in central midfield, whatever formation you want to use for that midfield, even if it's two in midfield. I think he's been unbelievable. And I like him because he just, he does everything. He tackles, he scraps, he can pass, he can score. Um, he's a bit of a throwback in in that way. Palace did really well to get him in the summer because it looked like Leeds were going to get him for much of the summer. And then Palace managed to persuade him at the end. I think he preferred to stay in London. Um, and, you know, you look at the way Leeds have struggled in central midfield at the start of this season, particularly with Phillips being out. What a blow 
for th- for them. I think Palace's problem, as ever, is, is you know still probably just not scoring enough goals generally from the forwards. But that's where Gallagher's been so important for them. It's always quite interesting just watching them in the last couple of away games. They seem to be slightly less counter-attacking in style compared to what they were last season, which probably made them far less of a threat when they were playing away at Manchester United or Leeds compared to what they might have been under Roy Hodgson in the same game. Um, but I, you know, in terms of Palace evolving, if they can get to a stage where they finish, I don't know, 11th, 12th this season and are generally moving towards a more progressive style, it's probably a good season for Vieira. I don't want to bring the mood down on Gallagher, uh, Matt, but, but basically Palace have to enjoy him whilst they have him. Yeah, of course. It's not going to be a, a case of... Uh, I, I, I think people sort of say, don't fall in love with a lone player, don't they? So, um, you know, I, I think he's been absolutely outstanding. You know, his England call-up was very well-deserved, but I think even Vieira said, you know, we'll see what happens at the end of the season. I think he's well aware that Gallagher is playing himself into possibly into the Chelsea team. But if not, then, you know, I think there'll be suitors who are bigger than Palace, unfortunately. And we have to be realistic and, you know, see that that this will be his only season at Palace. Um, but it's been great to watch him play this season. And he's doing really well in terms of his all-round game. And he's actually improved on that because earlier in the season, he was, you know, don't get me wrong, he was still absolutely outstanding. But it's the tackling, it's the racing back, it's those crunching tackles that you actually look at and you think that's where he's actually improved. Like we knew the technical ability was there. We knew the goal scoring ability was there. And it's that defensive side of the game that that has helped him. And I wonder whether part of that you might sort of attribute to working under Sam Allardyce at West Brom last season, possibly. You know, so I just wonder how much that that's had a role. And I think Vieira, you know, people say that Vieira is a very good man manager. Um, he's you know, the players like him. So I do wonder where, you know, whether that, that has a factor in it as well. The, the only chance I see of Palace keeping him for another year is if Gallagher gets the summer, he's on the fringes of the England squad by then, which he should be, and just thinks, well, I really need to make sure I'm playing every game before the World Cup. And then, you know, he obviously would be going back to Chelsea, having to fight for his place a little bit. So I do wonder if it might be in his own interest to push for one more loan in the summer. The other thing uh, we, which we touched on uh, on Match of the Day 2 last night is he just looks like he's loving it. And there aren't there aren't enough footballers who just look like they they love playing the game. And his his post match interviews yesterday, whether with Sky or the BBC, just like this wide eyed jaw, which I suppose you would do if you score in the you know the injury second half stoppage time from twenty five yards off the bar and it bounces down, which makes it look even more spectacular. But he it, it, it just it just looks to to love it and and therefore Matt and, and you know we all know this fans gravitate to that if you see someone who's actually looks like they're enjoying playing for your club brilliant yeah definitely like he's very he's when you see the training pictures and the training videos he's always smiling he's always laughing just like looks like he's having the time of his life and I think you know that that has shown in his performances. I think he very much relishes that more advanced role that he's been given. You know, obviously he's played various different midfield roles in his career with those loan moves at, you know, Charlton at West Brom, you know, more defensive at West Brom. And this season he's had that chance to get forward more and it just looks like he's really enjoying himself. Where is his best position, Matt? If I was thinking about, I don't know, if I'm a Chelsea fan listening to this, thinking where he plays for Chelsea... 
next season or for England or whatever, where, where would he fit in in a really top team? Not that Palace are a really top team. <laughs> like, how dare you? Um, I think it depends <laughs> on what format, what what style of play you've got and, and what, I suppose, how you set up your midfield. I mean, I think that number eight position where he's got that freedom to move forward is is probably his best position. I don't really see him being like a number 10. Like, I don't think that would work. He's probably slightly a box-to-box midfielder, but just you want to make sure that he's got someone who can do the, the, you know, the dirty work behind him, who can make the challenges, who can break up the play, who can recycle possession. What you want from him is you want him to have that freedom to drive into the penalty area you want him to have that freedom to probe forward and to spray passes out to the left or to the right or through the middle. You just want him sort of almost in a free midfield role. I appreciate that's you know never an easy thing to get someone into, but if you can find a way to accommodate that, then that is going to be his best position. Will they invest in January? I don't think they will. I think they had they had a, a lot of money they spent in the summer and they they recruited absolutely you know very very well they looked to a to a new sort of system a new style of recruitment i suppose in terms of a more long term outlook with younger players they completely revamped their squad and i think this is something that needs to be considered wherever palace finish this season this is very much a transitional season for palace new manager lots of new players lots of young players you know, kept faith in the likes of Tyreek Mitchell at left back, who's been outstanding. You know, England are monitoring him closely, and Mark Gay's been outstanding as well. I think most of Palace's money was spent in the summer. There's probably a few areas where you look at and go, it'd be great if they could had add another sort of ball playing centre back. You know, if if one of Anderson or or Gay got injured for a long term, it would be a little bit difficult to to continue, although James Tompkins has been very good in the last few games. But they don't really have the money to be investing in January. If Jean-Philippe Mateta returns from his loan, if they cut that short, then they may bring someone else in on loan, another striker. But other than that, I think you know, it's uh, it's not going to be too much from Palace this, this January. Matt, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much. Cheers. That's it. Thanks very much for listening. You can subscribe to The Athletic and get a 33% discount by heading to theathletic.com slash football pod. And I'm back on Thursday for the Business of Sport podcast with Matt Slater. The Athletic.